might as well just go to heaven. We're halfway there. Thank you all very much. I don't know whether I want to preach or just let them sing some more. You don't get an option. The last three Sundays, uh, we've been talking about the Christmas journey. Keith and, and Joe and uh, Denny have, have talked about several journeys actually that they've been on in their lives and how sometimes the journey itself is kind of more memorable even than the destination. And uh, I want to talk about a couple of journeys that I had, but I will tell you that last week after the service, uh, I was out to lunch with my mom and my sister and actually a couple of aunts and uncles and my wife was there, my brother-in-law, and I just sort of brought that up. I said, hey, I, I'm going to talk about some of the things that, some of the trips we took when we were a kid, but when I was a kid, but I'd like to make sure I have my facts straight because, uh, you know, as, as you get a little older, uh, sometimes memories uh, change a little bit, even though you don't mean them to. So we had a great time talking about some trips that we took and, uh, and some memories uh, that we made in the midst of those journeys. Before I tell you any of those, let me give you a couple facts about my family. So I have two older sisters, so I always enjoy saying that out loud in public. Um, I'm, I'm the baby, but we, you know, we grew up, we always had more than enough. My, my dad worked at uh, Armco and uh, also built houses on the side, but we didn't have a lot of extra for, especially for sort of extravagant vacations. So that's fact one. Fact two is my mom grew up in a family that had 10 children in it, okay? So that's fact two. And those two facts combined meant that vacations for us meant piling in the car and driving somewhere to visit an aunt and uncle who lived somewhere in the United States. More than that, because we had several aunts and uncles who lived here, often when we took those trips, it wasn't just one car, it was two and often three cars full of aunts, uncles, grandparents driving uh, across uh, the country or halfway across at least. So I hope that some of the things I mentioned on these trips may bring back some memories for some of you that have a little gray on top like me. Okay, a lot of gray on top like me. Uh, but I also feel like I need to give a disclaimer to those of you that are like, I don't know, mid-30s maybe or a little younger. A couple things you need to know. There were no video entertainment systems in the cars that we took. In fact, there really weren't any video entertainment centers at all anywhere, Right? And there also wasn't really any portable audio systems of any kind. Yeah, you had a transistor radio, I guess, but it really didn't pick up much. The cars had AM. That was it. More than that, there were certainly no telephones, right? If you had headphones, which no one did, there was nothing to plug them into anyway. More than that, there were no car seats and no seat belts of any kind <laughs> in any of the vehicles. It's hard to believe I'm still standing here, isn't it? Hard to believe we survived. So when we took those trips, and they might be maybe 20 hours or, or more, uh, my sisters and I would be in the back seat. Again, bench seats in the front, big bench seat in the back. But when we, it was time for us to take a nap, I would lay on the floor between the back seat and the front seat. Anybody else do that? There you go. You people are old. <laughs> put, a, put a couple, but I buy them too. But, you know, you put a couple pillows down, and then my sisters, and of course there was the hump, right? Because it was the, the transmission and the drivetrain, because it was a rear-wheel drive car. But, you know, you figured it out. And my sisters would sleep across the, one of them sort of the front of the back seat, and the other the back of the back seat, because it was huge. Cars were quite a bit bigger back then. Entertainment was a little different. Uh, we played the alphabet game. 
right? And you try to find an A and then a B. And man, those, those Zs and Xs and Qs, they were always hard to find. But that's what we did. We played I Spy and then we sang songs. We sang and we sang and we sang. And I'm sure we sang long enough. My father probably wanted us to stop singing. But we kept singing and singing and singing. So hopefully that brings back a few memories uh, for some of you. That w- those were trips. Now, we did have some high tech involved. Uh, we used walkie-talkies. Explain it to the people younger what a walkie-talkie even is. So, so when we had, especially when we had three cars in a caravan, the first car would have a walkie-talkie, and the last car would have a, a walkie-talkie. And you know what the second car had? Signs. We held them up in the back of the window so that the car behind us could see food, gas, restroom, and then the, walkie, the people in the back would walkie-talkie the people in the front whenever they had an opportunity. And you couldn't get too far apart because the walkie-talkies didn't have much of a range, quite frankly. And we would pull over and the caravan would follow. That's how we traveled. That was vacation. A couple of trips were very memorable. Uh, one, uh, we were going to Kansas to visit uh, uh, my mother's uh, sister. And in Indiana, we ran into major flooding. So there were three cars in this particular trip. The flooding was so bad that the car was kind of starting to float a little bit. And in fact, water was coming up through the doors, at the bottom of the doors. And when a car went by the other direction, the wave would pick our car up and move it. And then when it kind of came back down and settled, my father would get us back into what he thought was the road. Uh, My grandfather was driving one of the cars, and my grandmother was not very happy that we were taking her grandchildren through a flood, but we made it. The last story I will tell you, and this is definitely in the category of never try this, probably even in your driveway, but certainly not while uh, you're you're driving. So I had an aunt and uncle. They were, I think, in the middle of the three-car caravan, and uh, my Uncle was driving, and he kind of wanted a break, but he didn't want to stop the whole caravan. And so he's in the driver's side, and my aunt is in the passenger's side. And you know where this is going. Again, bench seats, no cruise control, no seat belts. So they switched as they were driving. Never slowed down. We didn't even know it until we stopped and got out. We're like, wasn't he driving? Again, I wouldn't try that anywhere. This message is not endorsed by Community Alliance Church. (laughs) I've certainly had several people ask me uh, this last week, like, what are you going to talk about? I mean, the rest of these guys, they already did it all, right? They talked about all these characters. I mean, we've we've learned about certainly Jesus and Joseph and Mary and and Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we've learned about these different destinations, and, and, and we've even learned that Denny can drive really fast through Yellowstone to get out of the park in time if he has to. And, and now this morning, I think you've learned that probably our family motto was not safety first <laughs> when it came to traveling. But as I've looked at God's word, I, the, the message I want to bring to you really is to look at those that, that Christmas journey and, and then look at the journey maybe in, in our life and, and let you know that we're going to look at it from a different perspective, a different perspective. And really, the, the, the title of the sermon is Two, Two Perspectives on a Journey. You see, I think we look at our life, and often it consists of lots of different journeys with lots of different destinations for different areas of our lives. So so we might have, as an example, we might look at our career, and we might say, well, uh, you know, maybe it started out by going to college, or maybe it started out by 
uh, going to high school, or maybe 14, you started working, and you just learned as you went, and you worked hard. But eventually, you start to develop a destination. You have a destination in mind. Hey, I want to be a senior engineer, you know, by the time I'm 45, or I want to be, I want to be an owner of my own company, or, or, or I want to be uh, the best salesperson in 10 years, uh, wh- whatever that might be. Or it might be, hey, I want to put 30 years in at this company, and I want to get my pension, and then I want to go do something else. But we have a destination in mind. That might look, if we graph that somehow, it might look something like, like this, right? We've got some twists and turns, but we have a destination in mind. Certainly, we have some other things that maybe are even more complicated in our lives, like our personal lives, and we might look at that and say, hey, I want to be married, or, or I want to be married by the time I'm you know, 30, or maybe by the time I'm out of college, or maybe, you know, I'm not sure that I want to be married. I'm, I want to stay single. Maybe we look at it and say, I want to have children, or, or maybe I don't. I want to adopt. I want to have two kids. I want to have five kids. Maybe some of us are thinking, you know, I can't handle the dog, so maybe I should stop there. But wherever it is, we, we have financial goals as well, long-term, short-term. And so, again, if we graph that, if we think about, hey, I've, I've got some destination of mine, it might look something like this. In reality, we have lots of journeys going on at the same time. We have different destinations in mind when we look at a lot of different areas uh, of our lives, right? So it might look something like this. It's pretty cool, actually. That might be art. Maybe we'll put that in the lobby sometime. So different destinations for different areas of our lives. There's lots of lines to represent different areas of our lives, different destinations. We all have different destinations depending on who we are. And those destinations actually can change throughout our lives. And sometimes they're actually in conflict with one another and they need to be adjusted. So we might say, hey, I want to live in a, in, a, in a small apartment in Manhattan. Like, that's my dream. That's my destination. But we also might decide we want to be married and have five children. So one of those things is going to have to be adjusted. Destinations are going to have to be changed along the way. The truth is, as I've talked with folks, and even in my own life, I, can, I found that at times, we can focus on a particular destination. And, and when we do that, sometimes we can forget the other important aspects of our lives. I think in our culture, in the Western culture, probably in the last 20 years, maybe the most stereotypical example of that is a person who focuses so much on their career and the destination of their career that they lose sight of how important it is to spend time with their spouse and with their children. I, I think we've probably all seen examples of that. But, but, you know, it can be lots of things. We can focus on the destination as an example. We might say, hey, I grew up in a place I, I, my, I didn't have much, and I want to make sure my kids have it, have it all, have as much as I can give them. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But we might say, I, I, we want to take them out to dinner a lot. We want to always get them uh, the best gifts. We want to go on amazing vacations. Again, that's awesome. But it might end up meaning that you have a great deal of debt in your life. And so you may have to adjust that destination at times. Because as we focus on just one, we can lose sight of the other things that are important. So what happens is we get tunnel vision, right? We just, and we just see that one thing, that one destination. And we can lose sight of, of the journey, and we can lose sight of the other things that are important in our lives. That's why, to be honest with you, I think uh, Pastor Joe talked about detours. And I think it's one of the reasons detours in our lives uh, 
change us or, or throw us off so much because we're so focused on this destination, this one right here, and then a detour comes up. And, and we can get angry, frustrated, sometimes with other people, sometimes with ourselves, sometimes with God. I think if we have our life, if we look at life from a different perspective, those detours may not impact us as much. So as I've thought about this topic and I've looked at God's word, I've been reminded something that, that, that I've known, but God made it really clear to me that this was what he wanted me to talk about, this, this important truth, is that God is seldom interested in a particular destination in our lives. He's seldom interested in a particular destination. Scripture, to be honest with you, makes that clear. And we're going to look at several passages this morning that, that make that clear. What I want you to discover this morning is that he is more concerned about what happens in us than he is about any destination or how long it might take us to reach that destination or if we reach that destination at all, ever. He's concerned about us. That's his focus. What that means is that we, our perspective can be, we see the journey as a means to an end. What's the end? The destination. We want to get there. But God's perspective is he can see the journey as an opportunity for us to change and to grow, to be transformed. So in other words, the, if I could wrap up the sermon in a sentence, and you, you don't get to go home after I've done this, but this is the sentence. God is interested in our transformation rather than our destination. Scripture makes that really clear. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to look at a passage, part of a passage we looked at last week. The passage is very familiar. It's part of the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Because what I want to do is to look at this very familiar passage, but I want us to see it from a different perspective. So read with me. Follow along, please. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Again, very familiar. Denny read a couple of these verses last week. This is what it says. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she, found, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Again, very familiar, very familiar verses, but I want us to see them hopefully from a bit of a different perspective this morning. First of all, the story opens, verse 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19. It, it really says Joseph, he's decided. When it talks about he's considered it, it means he's decided, he's made the choice. He's going to divorce her quietly. You see, in, in the first century, a Jew had the, it was lawful for a Jew to have his fiance, if you will, someone he was 
betrothed to, if she was found to be pregnant, he could have her punished. In fact, he could have her killed. That was lawful, legal. That was one option. Another option was to divorce her privately and really just let her go away. And so Joseph made the compassionate choice to do that. That's what those first couple of verses tell us and even the beginning of verse 20. But then he has a dream. An angel visits him in verses 20 to 23. And the angel tells Joseph, take Mary as your wife. And, and I'm, I'm pretty convinced as I've tried to study this and look at it, we don't know for sure. But I think this is an option that Joseph hadn't even considered. It's just something that wasn't done in the first century. It, it, it just wasn't a choice that anyone would make. But the angel visits Joseph and he hears this and all of a sudden his, his thinking has changed. It's expanded, if you will. His thinking really is transformed. He, he, he realizes it's not just option A and option B. There's an option C. And in fact, the option C is the one the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what I want you to do. And so then we read in verses 24 and 25, and these are the kind of verses, right, we can read them and just, just move right through. But I want us to pause here for, for a moment. Because what it really says is, Joseph woke up and did what the angel told him to do. And that's awesome. So we kind of read it and we say, oh yeah, Joseph had a dream, woke up probably about 6 a.m. And he went and took Mary as his wife. Okay, hey Mary, come on, we're going to do this. But I want you to know, that's probably not exactly what happened. Joseph is a real human being, right? There are going to be people, actually, there are people who will tell you, he's not, it's all made up story. That's a lie. Joseph and Mary were real people. And because of that, Joseph had to know there were consequences to this choice. And, and, and he would have thought through those, I'm sure of it. Sometimes we read about, we read these stories, we read about the apostles, and we really don't put ourselves in their place. But if we were in Joseph's place, we would know, okay, if I do this, it's going to have some ramifications for Mary and for me and the baby. He would have known that, but certainly by some people, they would have been ostracized. They would have been pushed away. They would have, there would have been shame on them. And more than that, not just on them. By doing this, he would have brought dishonor on their families as well. So I'm certain that he would have thought about those things. He would have weighed those things. And the truth is that the choice that the angel was telling him to make didn't make sense. He would have thought through it. But in the end, Scripture tells us what he did. He obeyed. He did what the angel told him to do. But I'm certain that that process, that struggle, that thinking through the options and the ramifications, I'm sure that they changed Joseph. That process changed him. The reason I know that is because it changes us. When we face decisions that are difficult, when we, we feel like this is what the Lord's having, he wants me to do this. And we, we can tell that through the Holy Spirit or through his word or through other people, but yet it doesn't make sense to us. It's hard to do. Or maybe we just, we don't really even agree with it. But we decide because we know it's what God wants, we take the step of obedience. It changes us. The truth is it grows our faith. It, it, it helps us to trust him more. We become a little bit different. We're, we're transformed by that process. So here's what I know. As if, if we had time to read through chapter 2, 
you know that Jesus is visited by an angel again and again, and maybe, we're not sure, even a third time. And so an angel comes and, and says to, to Joseph in a dream, take the boy and, his, and, and your wife to Egypt because Herod's looking to, to kill him. And so Joseph does that. And then after they're in Egypt a while, another angel, or maybe the same one, visits him and says, Joseph, go back to Israel. And so Joseph obeys. What I'm sure of is the second time that angel came, it would have been a little bit easier, not easy, but a little bit easier for Joseph to obey because he's seen God is trustworthy. His faith is stronger. And so he would, it would be a little easier for him to go. And then when the angel appears again to him a third time, it would have been easier yet for him to say, yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to obey because his faith was stronger. He would have trusted God more as he saw God's hand work through the midst of the journey that Joseph was on. And the truth is that should happen in our life as well. As we hear truth from the Lord, whether again, that's through his word or through proclamation or through his Holy Spirit, he often reveals to us what he desires us to do. And as we take that step of obedience, our faith grows and we learn to trust him more. And so when we're asked to do it again and again, it becomes easier. We are transformed by that process. And that's really the way transformation happens in our lives. It happens one truth, one step of obedience at a time. It doesn't happen quickly, rapidly. It doesn't happen just by kind of sitting around and reading. It happens by taking action and trusting and obeying. That's how it takes place. And God's desire is that we are transformed through that process. It, it's clear from many passages in Scripture, and I want to read a couple to you this morning, that show God desires us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let me read Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29. Again, I hope these are known to you. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Conformed, shaped into the image of his son. And then Paul writing to the Corinthians, the church at Corinth, in, in the second Corinthians, verse uh, 18 of chapter 3, he says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, he says, and we all are being transformed into his image, the image of the Lord, with an ever-increasing glory. That's God's desire for us, for each one of us who calls him our Savior. Each one of us who, who says, I'm a Christ follower. His desire is that we are transformed into his image. And, and, and there's a theological term for this that you've heard before from this very pulpit, sanctification. Right? Sanctification is, it's a one-time act, but it's also a process. And that word sanctified means to be set apart. And so what scripture teaches very clearly is we're to be set apart to God, kind of unto God and his purposes, but we're also to be set apart from sin and from the world. See, 2 Peter 2.22 says that we're to be separate from sin when it says this, flee the evil desires of youth 
and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I mean, it's pretty clear. Flee the evil desires. Be separate from sin. And then 1 John 2.15 instructs us to be separate from the world, really, when it says, do not love the world for anything in the world. And that doesn't mean we're not supposed to love people who are in the world, because Jesus tells us to do that. But what it means is don't love the stuff of the world. Don't love the model of the world. Don't start to, to, to love the world so much that you follow its pattern. Instead, we're to be conformed, remember, transformed into the image of Jesus. And then the last verses that I want to read are, are Romans uh, 12, verses 1 and 2. This kind of sums this up well. Verse 1 tells us to be a, a living sacrifice. Then in verse 2 it says this, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So don't, don't conform to the pattern. Don't be put in that mold, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. So these passages, when you put them together, say, don't be conformed to the, the image of the world, but instead be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches, and that's what God's desire is for each one of us who's a Christ follower. You know, if you think back for a moment about th that slide that kind of had four or five squiggly lines on it, we can have this perspective that I want to reach such and such a destination. I want to reach such and such a goal. That's coming up later. Don't, don't be distracted by me. Right? We have all these goals. We, 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 we want to reach a certain place. I want, to, I want to attain such and such. I want to do this in my career. I want to get this degree. And, and those, aren't, those aren't bad things. Not at all. But again, our perspective can become we're focused on this one thing. We're focused on that one destination. That becomes our perspective. But God's perspective is to focus on us and the journey. And his desire is to see us change and be transformed and be conformed into his image in the midst of the journey. That's his perspective. The truth is, we want to see progress. And God wants to see progress. But often, our perspective is we want to see progress in getting to that destination. God wants to see progress in that he wants to see us be more like Jesus. Both progress, but different kind. So, so often I can ask myself, and maybe you can ask yourself, am I closer to attaining that goal now than I was a year ago or two years ago? But the question that God asks, his perspective is, are you more like my son now than you were a year ago or two years ago? Very important. Those are, those are two different perspectives. The truth is, when we, when we look at the, the Christmas journey and the characters that we talked about, this happened in their life as well. They were being transformed. I mean, think of Joseph. We talked about him today. I'm sure his faith was growing. He trusted God more at the end of that, all those physical destinations he was in than he did at the beginning. And it's true for Mary and Zechariah. God was concerned, even as he was orchestrating events that would change the world, the event was the birth of his son. Even in the midst of that, he was still looking for them to grow, to become the men and women he had asked them to be. His desire was that they too would be transformed. And that's what he desires for us as well. So here's a few questions. 
So, so for a moment, think about some destinations you might have, and we might plot them on a sheet of paper like we just saw up there. So there you got various destinations for different areas of your life, right? You have a starting point, and, and there's your destination. And if I ask you to graph sort of how are you doing, where are you in the midst of that, you, you might put some dots on there, and it might look like this. So at different, for different destinations, for different areas of your life, you're making different amounts of progress. And, and again, those are, those are good things. Now, I realize, you know, we cannot boil down the complexities of, an, of a human life onto a two-dimensional sheet of paper, right? I understand that. But, I, but I, I hope you're following me because I do think our perspective often is that right there. Where am I in making progress? But God's perspective is different. If you look at this third slide, God's perspective is to look at us and wonder and ask and desire us to be moving up that line. You see, the start for every believer is when we accept Christ as Savior. That's where that journey, that's where the, the, the line starts always. And, and Scripture is really clear that we'll never make it to the top of that line. We'll never be like Christ here on earth. The New Testament makes that abundantly clear. But it also makes clear that we are to be seeing progress. We should be progressing. We should be more like Christ. So that would be the question. Where would you put yourself on that last slide? And maybe even more importantly, where would you put yourself compared to where you would have put yourself last year or two years ago? Is there progress in my life? That's the question God's had me ask this week. Is there progress in your life? The truth is, the Bible has some great indicators that help us uh, to know the answer to that question. So if you remember, uh, several months ago, Denny did a, a great series on the fruit of the Spirit, right? So one of the questions is, am I exhibiting more characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit now than I was a couple years ago or a year ago? Am I more loving? Am I more patient? Am I more kind? Just the last month, really, Denny finished a, a, a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. So another question we can ask is, am I more obedient to God's word and his commands now than I was a year ago, two years ago? Am I more joyful more often now than I was two years ago? Am I more content now more often than I was a year or two ago? Am I less anxious or less fearful now than I was a year ago, two years ago? Those are some diagnostic questions, if you will, some indicators that help us answer the main question, which is, am I more like Christ today than I was a year ago, five years ago, six months ago? So if you want to have a little fun at lunch, and you're going out with people that know you well, here's the question you can ask them. Am I more like Christ right now than I was a year ago? Or two years ago? And if you're afraid to ask that question, that might give you something to work on as well. But that's the question. That's God's perspective on our journey. And, and I want to say again, I'm not saying not to set, not to have destinations in mind. Those are good things. I have them in my life. We want to set those goals. We want to have some destinations. So I'm not saying don't ask those questions, but I am asking you to change your perspective and ask yourself, in the midst 
of pursuing those destinations, in the midst of the journey to reach those destinations, am I being transformed to be more like Jesus? Because that's God's perspective. And the truth is, as I, walk, as, as I have you walk out of here in a moment, I, I, it would be great if you could remember that, you know, that, that, that God is concerned with our transformation rather than our destination. Maybe that's nice, it's good, because it's true. But what I'd really love for you to be able to, to ask yourself is, am I more concerned about my transformation rather than my destination or all of my destinations that I have in mind for my life? That's the key question. That's God's perspective on our journey. And I hope you have it as you leave this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is clear, that repeats over and over again truths so that people like me can get them and understand them. Thank you, Father, that you sent your son on the ultimate Christmas journey, right, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt so that we might have life, abundant life and freedom from sin and that we might be able to be on a journey that leads us to being transformed into his image. That's only because of what he's done. And so I pray this morning that you would encourage those that need to be encouraged and you'd bring conviction to those that need conviction as we look at where we are in that transformation journey compared to where we have been in the last year or two. And I ask it in the mighty and powerful and everlasting name of Jesus. Amen.